Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for coming and uh, worshiping uh, with us today. Uh, before we get too far along, I want to uh, let you in uh, a little bit into to my world. Uh, when we first started Living Water uh, back in uh, January of 2001, I was preaching every uh, single week. And it is, I don't know if you're ever familiar with uh, forced creativity, but forced creativity is a challenge uh, at times. And uh, over the years, I, I can remember, you know, I'm preaching week in and week out, I occasionally get a break maybe once every six months or something like that. And then uh, over time, uh, we brought uh, Pastor Brian on, who was our first student ministries pastor, and he would uh, spell me a little bit. And uh, ultimately, uh, Pastor Ben came along, and uh, he would spell me uh, a whole lot more. And, uh, and then Bongo started uh, to preach, and so uh, I've got it really good right now. I, I preach about, uh, about half of the time. Uh, but there are uh, certain weeks when, hate's a really strong word, but dislike might be a good word. I dislike my life. Uh, there's times when I, I'm sitting in front of uh, the computer screen, and I've got my Bible out and I've got my commentaries out and I've got my Logos software out and I'm trying to figure out what in the world to, to do with this passage and uh, I don't know if you've ever stared at a blank screen for two or three hours but it can be absolutely uh, maddening and so uh, that's where I find myself uh, this week. I've got uh, four page, well I've got eight pages of, of manuscript. I normally have like 14 or something like that and uh, so last night wasn't a train wreck, uh, but it was, it was certainly a near miss. <laughs> so uh, hopefully uh, today will be, be a blessing to you. If uh, this does not meet your quality standards, uh, you're going to have to take that up with God today because uh, he's the one that's got to deliver. And, and there are times uh, when I'm writing that, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that God is just going through uh, my fingertips. We were uh, working on a, a message the other week for Elliot Christian's uh, memorial service, and there, there was a part where it was just like flowing out of my fingertips, and I'm like, you know, God, this is all you, this isn't me, and which is really a great feeling. And uh, Today, I really, I really want it to be all God uh, because the, the part that I bring today is, is not super strong. And, and that's not like I'm not looking for a pity party. I'm not looking for people to come up after the service and say, oh, Pastor Mike, that was wonderful. I'm just shooting straight with you right now uh, so that kind of you know uh, where I'm at. So I'm going to pray for myself very selfishly right now, and, uh, and then we'll get started. So Lord God, you are, you are so incredibly good, and you have given us your amazing word that is, uh, Lord, is filled with infinite teachings and infinite truth, dear Jesus. And, and Lord, you, out of your divine wisdom, for some reason have chosen to use frail human beings to communicate your word. And, and Lord, I recognize that, that today I am very frail, and I am very weak, and I am very nervous, 
And I, I need you to deliver today, Heavenly Father. I, I pray that, that you would take uh, what is on these pages and that through the power of your spirit you would redeem. And I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that perhaps the words that are flowing from my lips would be different than the words that are going into people's ears because you're speaking directly to them today. So, so do that. Uh, we love you. We are so grateful that we live in this wonderful land where we can freely proclaim the gospel and uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that your gospel would not only be going out through the pulpit of Living Water Community Church, but would be going out through the, the pulpits of, of churches all around central Pennsylvania and, and the United States and the, and the balance of the world so that you might receive the glory and honor that you and you alone deserve. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to take you back uh, to September 28th. 1938, and on that particular day, uh, the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain, a fellow by the name of Neville Chamberlain, sat across the, from the negotiation table from a madman by the name of Adolf Hitler. And uh, Neville Chamberlain was, was there attempting to avert World War II. What had happened in the, in the days and weeks and months preceding this meeting was that the, the, the German army had massed itself on their border with Czechoslovakia. And there was a, a portion of Czechoslovakia called uh, the Sudenland that uh, was basically German-speaking people. And they, they had, uh, in World War I, the Sudenland was part of Germany, and then World War I entered, ended and it became part of Czechoslovakia, and basically Hitler wanted it back. And so Neville Chamberlain is trying to avert World War II, and so these guys, they're negotiating, and also the Prime Minister of France is there, and Mussolini, the President or Prime Minister of Italy, is there, and they're trying to figure out how they can not go to war. And in the end, Chamberlain agrees to give the Nazis the portion of Czechoslovakia that was German-speaking. He does this without even asking the, the Czechs, which is kind of very interesting in and of itself. And uh, the agreement that, that he gets is that Germany will not attack Britain. That's the plan. So basically, we're going to sacrifice part of the Czech Republic for peace, and Britain will be off the hook. And so the following day, Chamberlain, he returns back to uh, England. And he has a meeting with the, with the king of England, and it goes really well, and, and Chamberlain's this great hero, and they're singing all of his praises. And once he's done uh, with the king, he heads back to, to number 10 uh, Downing Street, which is the prime minister's official home, and there's crowds all around his home, and he goes up to the second floor window, opens up the window, and this is what he tells people. He says, my good friends, this is the second time in our history that there has come back from Germany to Downing Street peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. And then he added this. He says, now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. And folks, that's exactly what the British people did. They went home, they crawled into their beds, they pulled on their comforters, and they went to sleep. Well, they're sleeping. The Nazi army is rolling into Czechoslovakia. But they didn't stop there. 
Because Hitler's plan was never for peace. It took, uh, within five months, Germany takes the balance of Czechoslovakia. Five months after that, they cross into Poland. And six months after that, the German Luftwaffe, the Air Force, begins to bomb Britain. And like many leaders before and many leaders after, Neville Chamberlain promised peace and safety, but he ultimately delivered war. Now, three quarters of a century have passed since the hostilities have ceased in World War II. And peace is as elusive as ever. But it's not just elusive on a, on a global level. Peace is elusive within nations. It's elusive within our communities and our neighborhoods. Peace is elusive in our workplaces, in our schools, within our families. And for many of us, peace is elusive at the very core of our being. And as such, many of us go through life filled with anxiety and strife and disappointment and fear. Now, Jesus comes along, and in John 14, he says these words to us, and, and, and they're designed to bring us comfort. This is what Jesus says. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And we want to believe that. And, 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 and we want to trust that, that, that God has everything in hand. But we look at our circumstances and it is so incredibly hard to be living with this idea of being in peace because our circumstances, they seem to be so incredibly overwhelming and our past wounds, wounds that have been inflicted upon us by others, wounds that we have actually inflicted upon ourselves, those wounds they are so incredibly deep. And our past failures and our present failures, man, they, they, they are just like projected on a movie screen in front of us. And we're stuck, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know where to turn. And if that describes you or someone that you love, hopefully this morning's message will resonate with you. Because tonight we're going to talk about uh, what needs to happen in our lives to, to have uh, lasting peace. And it comes from, from having an accurate view of a couple things. We need to have an accurate view of, of actually who we are and, and, and what we are to do. And, and we need to have an, an accurate view of, of who Jesus is. And what he has done and what he's doing and what he's ultimately going to do in the future. And then we need to understand how are, are we who are fallen people supposed to respond to this incredibly holy and just and good God. So let's get started. If you have a Bible with you this morning or you have a, a Bible app on your phone, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 11. We're continuing this little brief Advent series looking at the prophecies of the Messiah that were recorded in Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles around the tables on the room. Uh, if you're at home, it'll also be up on, on your screen. And uh, we're going to look at, at the first uh, 12 verses of Isaiah 11. So 
If you are able to stand, if you would do so in honor of God's word, allow me to read this to you. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant from the remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now let me start off our time examining Isaiah 11 giving you just a little bit more background. It's just sort of a review of what we have looked at over the last couple weeks. Uh, Isaiah is writing to this country by the name of Judah. Judah is uh, the southern kingdom of the divided nation of Israel. And they uh, were about to be invaded by the northern kingdom of the divided nation of Israel, which remained the name Israel, retain the name Israel, and by the nation of Syria. And in order to save themselves, uh, Ahaz, the the king of Judah, he uh, entered into an alliance with the pagan nation of Assyria, which is different than Syria. And uh, basically, Assyria is the superpower of Isaiah's day. And over a period of approximately 10 years, Assyria honored their deal with Judah, and they attacked Israel, and they attacked Syria, and they basically destroyed both of those nations. But rather than being content with the spoils of war and and go about their own business, 
they decided, well, we've already taken out the northern kingdom. We've already taken out Syria. There's really no one to protect Judah but us, so let's take Judah. And by the time that we get to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, Syria is full-blown in, in a war against Judah. And in Isaiah 10, there's a whole list of towns. And, and basically, these towns, if you look at the map, it starts north of the city of Jerusalem, and, and it starts listing towns. And Assyria is taking town after town after town after town after town. And they are now, they're sitting at the doorstep of the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things that, that armies did in that day was not only kill the enemy soldiers and not only take the, the enemy people, the civilians, into captivity, the other thing that they did was they decimated the land. They, they, they burned all the crops. They uprooted all of the vineyards. They salted the wells. And they clear-cut the forest, leaving behind nothing but stumps. And why is all of this happening? What, what, has, what has prompted this? How, how, how did, the, you know, did Judah and Israel, they, they, you know, they break up and the tribes separate from one another? Where did all of this happen? What caused all of this destruction and all of this, this, this lack of peace and war? Well, we find the very answer to that in the very first chapter of Isaiah. We get a little peek of what happened. Isaiah 1, verses 2 and 6, 2 through 6. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is what God's saying. Children have I reared and brought up, which is the nation of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, the United Kingdom. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. What has happened? The people of Israel, the united kingdom, and ultimately the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah, they have forsaken God. They have basically looked at God the Father like a rebellious child looks at their parent and says, you know what? The heck with you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And we're told that they've rebelled against God, that they are laden with iniquity, that they have dealt corruptly with others, that they have forsaken the Lord, and as a result, they are estranged from God in the same way that a rebellious child is estranged from their family. And this is a picture of the universal condition of humanity. And if you have been here at Living Water long enough, you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, Pastor Mike, you guys talk a lot about sin. You, you, you talk a lot about the depravity of humanity. What's up with that? Folks, we need to have an accurate picture of who we really are. Because the world is constantly telling us a completely different story. 
But, but we, we are a rebellious people, whether we, we like it or not. I, I, in my own life, I live in a constant state of rebellion against things. I follow the rules that I like, but the rules that I don't like, I rebel against them. When they say you're supposed to drive 65 on the highway, and I can drive 80 and everybody else is doing 80, I do it. I violate that rule. You know, you know when, when, when I, I see some rule at, at a, you know, some place that, that I don't like, rather than saying, you know what, this isn't my business, or this isn't my school, or this isn't my whatever, and I don't set the rules, but I need to follow them. Instead, what? I've got this rebellious heart. And my bet is from a lot of you who are shaking your heads up and down right now, you do too. We want our own way. We want to be in control. We don't want to submit to God. And, and, and we go through life thinking that, you know, people tell us all the time that, you know, we're going to go to heaven because we're good people. Well, the fact of the matter is if good people get into heaven, which isn't even true, but if good people would get into heaven, none of us would get in because we're not good people. And so, in the case of the ancient citizens of Judah, God allows the, their enemies to overwhelm them. And it steals their safety and it takes away their peace. And folks, the same is true for us. Listen to the Apostle Paul's warning to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says this, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days, and perhaps we're in the last days, I don't know if we are or not, Many would say, Dennis is telling us that we are, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Dennis. But if we're not, we're certainly moving towards them, all right? But he says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Can he create any more descriptive uh, descriptors of people? And I, I think about what we went through in Romans 1. Remember when Romans 1 said they, 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 they actually come up with new forms of evil? We see that in, in our own day. That, 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 that we're, not, we're not becoming better as a world or, or better as a society. We're, we're descending as a society. And like the ancient Jews, many of us we have the appearance of godliness. But when we peel back that, that carefully crafted spiritual camouflage that we wear, we get exposed as rebellious people. And one of the results of our rebellion against God 
is that he takes something away from us. And it's called peace. But it gets worse. To fill that lack of peace in our lives, in an effort to escape the, 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 the turmoil and the pain that is a direct result of our rebellion, rather than turn back to God, which would ultimately make the most sense. Instead, we, we, we double down and, and we try to find peace from lesser gods. We seek peace in, in, in money or comfort or power or fame or pleasure. We, 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 we seek it in, in sexuality. We, we seek it in, in, in gluttony. Anything that we think can actually numb our pain, that's what we ultimately we go after. And there are things that, that we said in the past that they promise so much, but man, they deliver so little. I mean, that's the way sin works. I know it in my own life. I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head down this path because I'm struggling. I'm, 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 I'm tired. I'm weary. I, I, I need something to, to numb this. And, and then I engage in whatever that thing is. And it doesn't help. It only makes matters so much worse. And we look for, for our security in others be it a spouse or a child or an employer, you know, surely they're going to make things better. And through it all, we keep telling ourselves time and time again, one of these things will bring me peace, but sadly, all we find is more turmoil time and time and time again. And if we're ever going to find peace, it's important that we first understand who we are and what we have done. And from a biblical viewpoint, we are a weak, sinful people. That's who we are. That's not something society wants to hear. That, that's not something that, that, that's going to, you know, get blasted across the airwaves and things like that. But the result of it is the same, that, that we are a sinful people. But we live in this culture that, that believes that we are inherently good and that if, if we get enough education, or we get enough enlightenment, or if there is enough coercion from, from the powers to be, or if we get shamed enough in social media, or if we conform to the community, if we do those things, we're going to become better people. And you couple that with the collective strength of everyone working together, and our society says, that's what's going to bring us peace. But sadly, it has never worked in the past. And folks, it is not going to work in the future. And peace remains elusive. And I believe that's the condition to which the people of Judah must have, or the conclusion that the people of Judah must have come to, that peace was as elusive as ever, as they're hunkered down behind the walls of, of Jerusalem, just waiting for the Assyrian army to take them. They, they have watched their army fall. 
They have seen city after city after city fall. The promises that King Ahaz has made has completely fallen apart. And so, so here they are. They're, they're hidden. They're hiding. They're behind this wall. They know the wall is not ultimately going to be able to keep the people away. And they're terrified. And just as they trusted Ahaz, and Ahaz trusted the Assyrians, it didn't work. And rather than peace, they get destruction. And that's the situation into which Isaiah is now speaking. And I know that was a, a, a lot of kind of preview here, a lot of background, but, but that's the situation that Isaiah is speaking here in 11. The people are hunkered down. They're behind a the wall. They are terrified. Isaiah's with them. And the people, they know destruction is coming. And as they, they peer over the walls of Jerusalem, they see the vast Assyrian army waiting to destroy them, but they see something else. As they look out over those walls, you know what else they see? They see all of their fields burned. They see all of their vineyards uprooted. And they see the forests that, that surrounded the city of Jerusalem leveled flat with nothing but stumps of trees. And into this destruction, into this turmoil, into this fear, Isaiah, folks, he speaks hope. And he uses the very thing that they're looking at. The very thing that, that, that brings trouble to them. He says this in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You see, not only do we need to have an accurate view of who we are and what we've done, we've got to have this accurate view of, of who God is and what God has done. And this is what God is, is, is doing and is going to do. So they, they, you see this vast farce of desolation that was clear comp and all that's left is stumps. And the very thing that the people of Judah see as destruction Isaiah paints a picture of hope because out of one of those stumps is going to rise a shoot, a branch of hope that contains life. And why does the shoot grow? Because the roots are good. There's a little tree that grows beside the, the northwest corner of our house on Latchmere Drive. And uh, it's a persistent little bugger. I've tried to rip that sucker out of the ground lots of times, and it's, it's too deeply rooted. And so what I do every year is I cut that bad boy off right at the base of the tree, right above the ground. And you know, if you go to my house right now, that sucker is back up again. Why? Because it's got a good root. And that's what's happening here. And we're told what? That it is, it's not just any stump. It's from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's dad. And, and, and Jesse's unlike David in one particular way. David was a king. He was royalty. But you go back a generation, Jesse's a commoner. And I think it's telling here that it's not out of the stump of David 
but it's out of the stump of Jesse. That this Messiah, this Savior that's going to be, be raised, he's going to, he's going to come from, from humble origins. And he's going to, going, to, going to be just like you and me, except that he never, ever sins. And Isaiah tells us more about this Messiah, who you and I know as Jesus. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He is going to be like nothing people have ever seen. And you need to understand, the folks that are hearing this prophecy right now, it's going to be another 700 years before this gets fulfilled. But he's going to be like nothing that any of those folks saw. And he's going to be like nothing that any of you and I have ever seen. His, His rule isn't going to flow from human power but from divine power, from the very Spirit of God. You know, one of the struggles that, 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 that we as Americans have witnessed over the last probably several decades is we have leaders who are very human, who are very fallen, whether you got an R or a D or an I or whatever at the end of your name, it doesn't really matter. Every one of these leaders has what has proven themselves to be very fallible. But there is someone who's coming along. Someone who's going to come back who is not going to be like them. And he's not going to be like us. His... his Power is rule is going to flow from this divine power, and it will be the Spirit of God that fills him with wisdom, that allows him to see things that, in ways that you and I don't ever see them, and, and fills them him with understanding and the ability to, to counsel, and he has might and knowledge, and all of these things. They're things that the leaders had been lacking. And they lack these things. Why? Because our leaders and the leaders in the past, they are disobedient and rebellious people just like you and I. That doesn't mean that we can't have godly leaders. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But, but re- regardless, any leader that you have, me included, are going to be fallible. They're going to be sinful and make mistakes, but Jesus isn't. And more than anything else, this coming Messiah, he's going to be filled. It gets this word here, it's the fear of the Lord, and it gets repeated twice here. And and what is this? He's going to have this deep reverence from God, and he will be completely faithful, and he will find something in obedience that you and I have trouble finding. And that's called joy. That joy actually flows out of obedience. And if you've ever been a parent, you know that. You know that, 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 that when your kid follows the rules and, and works in the family, that there is joy. But when there is rebellion, it's agony. It's horrible. 
And so he's going to come along and he is going to find joy in obedience. You know, yes, Jesus, he's fully God, he's fully man. And, and, and he's what? We're told he's tempted in every way, but without sin. And he does all of that joyfully, but that's just the half of it. Look at verses 3 through 5. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, which is his word. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What is this telling us? It's telling us that Jesus, the Messiah, he is going to be like no other judge that we have ever encountered. Because the judges that we've encountered, they need to make their judgments based on what? What they see with their eyes and what they hear with their ears. Because they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. They're not all over the place. So they've got to just judge by what they hear and what they see. But Jesus, he's above all of that. He sees through the smoke screens. He sees through the lies. He sees through the manipulation. He sees through all of those things. And he judges rightly. And who are, are the greatest beneficiaries of that? The ones who are typically the people who get run over by a justice system that judges by what it sees with its eyes and hears with its ears the poor and the meek and the weak. And he makes these decisions with, with righteousness, with a heart that is aligned with God. And he will judge the world by the word of God, the pure and holy truth. So, so now we, we know who we are and what we've done, and now we know who he is, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do now, and what he will ultimately do in the future. The question is, how do we respond? And I believe that we are called to respond in the same way that Jesus responded to his Father, with the fear of the Lord. Now, what in the world is that? What does it mean to actually fear God? I mean, on the surface, it seems like we should be terrified of him. But the reality is that he loves us deeply. And so what is this, this fear of the Lord? It, it means that, that rather than, than running away from him, when we blow it, we actually run to him. It, it, it means that, that we are reverent, that, that we treat him as holy, that we tremble before him, that we come to him broken and contrite. That's the fear of the Lord. It's to be overwhelmed by his incredible goodness. It's to recognize that, that his truth and the way that he sees things are so much better than the way that we could possibly ever see things. 
And, and when he gives us commands and instructions and, and, and dictates that they're there for not, not to be this joy stealer, but to be the one who actually gives joy and that there is joy in following him and obeying him. And yes, is it hard? Yes. Does it go against what our world thinks? Absolutely. Is it in our best interest? Of course. And when we do that, when we live in the fear of the Lord, God gives us this thing that we have been looking for. And it's called peace. And what does he say about it? He says this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the shepherd shall lie down with the young goat. These things don't go together, right? They do not go together. You, you take it, and you go to you know, Hershey Park to Zoo America, and, and, and you take a, a wolf, and you put it in, in a, a pen with a lamb, bad things are going to happen, right? The lamb is going, no, the wolf is going to win. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, they're all together, this picture. And, and what? There's, there's a little child leading them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And then this one just blows my mind because I hate snakes. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Think about that. The weakest thing, the most fragile thing, playing over the hole of one of the most dangerous animals on the face of the planet. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mouth. That's the peace that Jesus offers. It's a peace where your greatest enemy becomes your dearest friend. That's the peace that he offers us. And that, brothers and sisters, that is the peace of Christmas. Because into a very dark, rebellious world, a child came. A child left the glory of heaven where there is none of this garbage and comes to this earth not as a king, but as a peasant. And he lives the first 27, 28, 29 years of his life common like you and I. Treated poorly. Tempted in every way that we're tempted. Yet never sins because he's got this great plan, this great purpose. And he spends three years and all of those things that Isaiah talked about, all the wisdom and, and all of the knowledge that he has, he freely shares to a world. Standing before people, calling them to repentance and love. And yet the world, the world rejects him 
Because in the end, the world really doesn't want peace because the ruler of the world, the evil one, wants destruction. And so they kill him. Not because he was bad, but because he was good. And for three days, all of his followers mourn. And then, on that glorious Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, the tomb is rolled away, the stone's rolled away, the tomb is empty, is risen just as he promised. And he brings, ultimately, peace. And he's going to do it in the future, but you know what? He does it now. And he's done that in my life. The things that I've messed up, the things that I've jacked around, he fixes. And they're never perfect because I'm not perfect. But it's always good. And I mess up again. And peace disappears. And he draws me back to himself. And he forgives my sins. And he restores my peace. And the cycle goes on and on and on again. Until one day, he's coming back on the clouds. And those last couple verses, we're not even going to go over those last couple verses, though. Basically, when he's talking about the restoration of, of Israel, he's talking about gathering his people to himself. And it says what? That the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God because one day there is going to be a new earth and a new heaven where every person who's there will have bowed their knee to Jesus, will have repented of their sins, will have received him as Lord and Savior. And he will rule. And there will be peace forever. But until that day comes, you and I, we are called to love him with all that we have. And we are called what? To love others with all that we have. And if we do that, we will get a little glimpse of a future peace that will have no end. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so incredibly kind. And Father, I pray as we ponder these things that we have learned over the last couple weeks, these prophecies that happened some 700 years before your son was ever born. That, Father, that we might have our faith buoyed because all of these things that were promised have come to pass. And, Lord, that the things that are promised that have yet come to pass, that we can be confident in, that your son will come back, that he will draw us uh, to gather us to himself, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Lord, we look forward to that day. And Lord, until that day comes, uh, Father, as, 
as those who have repented of our sins and received your son as, as Lord and Savior, Lord God, with that spirit that lives inside of us, would you help us to, to, to live for you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to offer peace and grace, to live lives of, of humility, and Lord, to be steadfast in our love for you, that when the Lord, world comes against us, Heavenly Father, that, that we will stand in humility and love. When we are rejected and ridiculed, we will receive it because your Son has been rejected and ridiculed on our behalf. And because we can live confidently knowing that if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. Lord, thank you for this offering that we are about to receive. Lord, we pray that these resources would be used for the, full, uh, for the purpose of expanding your gospel, Heavenly Father. Lord, that we would not squander these resources. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the generosity of those who, who are giving in this room right now, who have, have given earlier in the week through the mail or online. Uh, Lord, who, uh, Lord, come and drop things by. Uh, Father, thank you. You've blessed us so much. And might we be a blessing to others. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.